Welcome, brother. <laughs> so good I got a new here. brother. <laughs> Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Good morning. How are y'all? How many were here last night? Yeah, that was so fun. It was crowded. It was full. It was full of energy. I am a, I'm a speaker. I live in Gilbert, Arizona. Have you ever been there? It's hot. And it's great to be up in Redding. I actually grew up not so far from here. I grew up in a place called Fairfield, actually Susu City. You guys probably heard of that place, yeah? If I'm somewhere else in this country and I say the word Fairfield, people have to clue what I'm talking about. So I'm glad that you know where it is because it does exist. So. I would like to start out with a couple pictures to show you, just to give you a perspective of my life story. That's why I'm here this morning, because God is powerful. And God uses his might and his glory in people's lives if only we are willing to let him be God of our lives. Amen? In this picture, I am in fifth, sixth grade. You recognize that machine in front of me? They don't make them anymore, right? It's a typewriter. So when I was born, I was born with five mothers, cerebral palsy. It was so mild that when you looked at me, you couldn't tell I had it. The only thing that you noticed that was different about me is that I shook in my hands. And so because I shook in my hands, I could never write with a pen or pencil. If I put a pen or pencil to a piece of paper, the pen would just dance all over the place like it's possessed or something. I don't know what was happening. So I called my penmanship my scribbles. So all through school and college, I always had a typewriter. And in college, I had note takers. And I always picked the pretty girls to do my notes for me. Because women, you have good handwriting. Men, I don't know what's wrong with our handwriting, but it's not that good. So I always picked the best. This next picture, that's me in sixth grade. Next picture, a normal wife. See how my head is a little bit cockeyed? In eighth grade, I went to bed one night, fine as can be. The only thing different about me is that really I just had to use a typewriter because I shook. I could walk normal. I could outrun most everybody at my school, no joke. I can talk like everybody else. I was a class clown. I was a dreamer. I was a curious little kid. In eighth grade, I go to bed one night. The next morning when I wake up, I stand up out of my bed and my head fell forward. So far forward that my chin was touching my chest and I couldn't lift it back up. This next picture will show the progression of what that did. From my eighth grade year, in junior high to my senior year of high school, those four or five years, I never saw a better day. I was diagnosed with a rare muscle nerve disease called torsional dystonia. So rare that to this day, I've not met anyone who has this. This is one of a kind. It's not muscular dystrophy. It's not any of that that you would hear. It is specifically called 
torso dystonia. They think it's related to the fine butter several palsy that I got when I was born. My life changed drastically. I went from a kid who could outrun everybody in my school to one that was in my senior year of high school. I sat in a wheelchair. That next picture was, talk about the function of the church. We all need everybody, right? In that picture, she's pretty, huh? Her name is Angie. And by senior year of high school, Angie would, I, I had, I called them my pushers. I know it sounds weird, but they were my pushers. So in high school, I, they, we had six periods. And after every period, I'd have a student who would push me to my next class. Angie was my pusher from fifth to sixth period. And as she's pushing me one day in the sixth period, she says, hey, Chris, I have a question for you. Will you go to the prom with me? You know what I told her? No. <laughs> and she said, why wouldn't you go? I said, Angie, you're beautiful. Go with somebody deserving. She goes, Chris, that would be you. I would love for you to take you to the prom. I said, Angie, I can't dance. I don't care. We're getting double date. Women, I love how you are planners. She already had this whole thing planned out. We were going to double date. Her, the boyfriend of her friend was going to help me with things that Angie couldn't help me with. So I went to the prom. And talk about people stepping up out of the church. She didn't go to my church in Fairfield, but she was a believer in Jesus. And she knew I was hurting. Sitting in that wheelchair, I was hopeless. I didn't feel lovable. I felt like my life was spiraling out of control. I was angry at God. I was bitter. And I didn't understand why, out of all people, I had to be the one to suffer with this rare bustle of nerve disease. I didn't think it was fair. This next picture, that's wheelchair Olympics. I'm sitting in a motorized wheelchair. <coughs> Those are my two assistants. And if you ever get the opportunity to sit in a motorized wheelchair, you should try one out. They're, they're actually quite fun. Mine went eight miles an hour. It was amazing. The next picture is this. Swimming. I think this is the last picture. Swimming is what God used to help me walk again. Swimming is what God used to make my doctors turn their heads in disbelief. Because they can't explain why I got so better. In my senior year of high school, my mom was planning my memorial service. That's how bad it was. She already had the, the songs that they were going to play at my service that day. But God had a different plan, right? Praise his name. The Lord is powerful. And through swimming and swim therapy, that's how I started to walk again. Now, what's ironic about this whole thing thus far is I'm a speaker, but I can't speak right. It's hard to understand my voice. 
You think God is hilarious? I think he's hilarious. <laughs> because just when you think he doesn't want to use or can't use something in your life, he does. And that's why I'm here this morning. I have a heart for people who are broken. My heart aches for people who feel hopeless, for people who feel lonely, for people who feel like their life is out of control, that there's no purpose in their midst. You ever been to an airport? I go to airports all the time for what I do for a living. Baggage claim. That's an interesting place, is it not? You get off the airplane, you go downstairs, you go to baggage claim, and it's, it's so quiet. People are grumpy. It, it's quiet like a library is quiet. No one wants to talk to you. And we all just stand there like zombies. We just want to get our baggage and go. And it takes a while sometimes for the conveyor belt to turn. And when it turns on, oh, we are excited. We get giddy. We, we want to go. And so it goes on and you're... And all the bags look the same, right? Here it comes, here it comes. That's not my bag. And you, when your bag comes, what do you do? You have to get your bag up off the conveyor belt, right? Why? It's called baggage claim. You have to claim your bag. It's your bag. And when you get your bag, you take it with you. And God's helped me a lot about my baggage in life. My life was something I didn't want to claim because I didn't like it. I didn't think it was fair. I was bitter. I didn't like being trapped in a body that I could no longer control. Whenever I've been at an airport coming in from a trip to get my baggage, I'm always reminded that God wants me to take my baggage and just go with it. Because he wants me to use my baggage for his glory. But what do you do when you get to your destination with your baggage? You have to unpack it, right? You have to put all the contents in your bag back in the proper places. And that's what God's doing in each of our lives. He's working in each of our lives through our baggage because he's wanting to help us put the contents of those aspects of our life in the proper places so that we can focus on him. Here's a miracle that changed my life. John chapter 5, verse 1. I better put this on the podium to read it because I shake. It will be all blurry if I don't. Sometime later, it says... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there's in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate and Pool, which in our bank is called Bethesda, and this pool is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie. There were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And when he was there had been an invalid for 38 years, stop. Can you imagine that? 
38 years in this predicament. We don't know his name, for one. We don't know how long he's been in this situation. Is he 38 years old or is he 78 years old? When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he posed an obvious question. Do you want to get well? Duh, why do you think I'm here, Jesus? Sir, he replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get into it, somebody else goes down ahead of me and cuts me off. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And the day of which the place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I love how the Jewish leaders speak. They always have something against Jesus to rile up a miracle, to mess that miracle up. And if you heal somebody on the Sabbath, it's considered as if you're working. And they believe in that community that you shouldn't work. So the Jewish leaders always had problems with Jesus. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. He's a tattletale is what he is. <laughs> that was in John 5. Verses 1 through 15, that was out of the NIV version. Here's what I like about this miracle. When I was at my lowest of lows, I don't know why, but I opened my Bible one day, and the page opened to John 5, and I just started to read it. And I read this miracle at the invalid at the pool, Bethesda. And in that miracle, God spoke to me, and he began to revolutionize my life, my being, my bitterness. And at first glance, I was actually angry at the Lord when I read it. It just filled my anger at him that much more. Because I like this miracle, and this is why. The pool of Bethesda was a place that people would go because they thought that this place was a sanctuary that would bring them hope, that would give them peace. They sat at the banks of this pool of Bethesda thinking that if they were there and got into the water, they would become whole. And whatever situation they were struggling with, it would be gone like that. So there was a multitude of disabled people all over the pool of Bethesda. Those who were blind, those who were lame, those who were paralyzed, they were all there waiting for the Lord to do something miraculous. Although they didn't think it was the Lord, they thought it was the water and the magical effects of this water. And if you look in your Bible, 
and read this chapter, there's no verse 4. It goes from verse 3 to verse 5, which is very interesting. In a footnote in the Bible, perhaps, verse 4 suggests that an angel of the Lord would swoop over Bethesda, stir the water within it, and the first person in the water after it was stirred would be the one that would be healed. Not everybody, just one at a time. So this man at Bethesda that Jesus approached is frustrated. I don't know how many days he's been there, but he's waiting for something miraculous. He doesn't know who Jesus is. His hope is in something else. And he's just hoping that in one instant, he can make it to the edge of the water and get in to be healed. You know, what I love about this miracle is when Jesus steps onto the scene, everything changes. And instead of Jesus with his power, he could have done this over the whole crowd that day. All those with disabilities and hear every one of them in an instant. But he doesn't do that. He owes them to one person. This man that we just read about. He's been an invalid for 38 years. And he approaches him. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is laughable. Because it seems like Jesus is out of tune. And he goes straight up to this man and he goes, Hey, do you want to get well? Duh, why do you think I'm here? The water's right there. But people jump in front of me and cut me off and I'm trying to get in. And I have no one to help me. And in that moment, Jesus takes the focus off the pool of Bethesda itself and plants the man's focus on who Jesus is in that moment. And Jesus tells him what? Get up off your mat and walk. And immediately that infant got up off his bed and walked. And what I love more than anything else about this miracle is the object of his mat. Because if you look at this in scripture, when Jesus tells this guy to get up off his mat, he doesn't instruct him to throw his bat away or to leave his bat behind. No, he insinuates, you take your bat with you. In other words, you take your brokenness with you, but you can walk in it because there's purpose in it. It was Easter morning, 1983. I just turned 50 this year. Woohoo! It's just a number, people. It's not a big deal. I keep telling myself that. 1983, it's April 3rd. Out of all days, it's Easter Sunday. I'm in my waterbed in my bedroom in Susan City, right next to Fairfield, at home. That aborted person still to this day. I love that waterbed. I heard my mom's footsteps come down the hallway. 
And I knew that in a moment her hand would go on to my doorknob to open my bedroom door to crank it open and wake me up for Easter morning. And sure enough, as I'm staring at my waterbed, and the door opens and my mom enters in. Hi, Chris. Good morning, son. Happy Easter. And it was my mom's birthday that day. Hey, Mom. Happy Easter to you, but happy birthday as well. Well, thank you. It was my mom's birthday, <laughs> my stepdad's birthday. Yeah, they had the same birthday. That's weird, huh? Your parents had the same birthday. It's so easy to remember. <laughs> they also had the same anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also my mom's identical twin, my aunt's birthday. So it's three birthdays, and it's Easter Sunday. And my mom said, Chris, your Easter basket is on your desk. Get ready. We have to, we have to get going. We'll come out and have breakfast with us, and we'll, we'll leave for church. Okay, Mom, I'll be there. I don't know why that scene is still so vivid in my mind's eyes. It was as if it was yesterday. I didn't feel anything different. I'm sloshing around on my back in my wire bed with the covers still on me. And the sunlight is beaming through the closed blinds. I had little holes in my blinds by design, not by me being terror, by design. And the sunlight was beaming through those blinds. And particles of dust I still see today were shimmering above my bedspread. I heard the water gushing. I can still hear it today. Through the sprinkler system that watered our backyard. And I looked off of the tip of my toes on my back. And there was my desk at the other end of my bed. With my Easter basket with cellophane with gifts in it. This is going to be a great day. As we bay legs over the waterbed frame that morning... I stood to my feet, and when I stood to my feet, my head fell forward. And that's when my chin was touching my chest. And I kept lifting up. And it was that day when this whole situation started. And I opened my bedroom door, and I walked down the hallway, and I, I had such an innocence that I, didn't, I wasn't bothered by it. I just thought maybe I slept wrong. And I sit down at the, the, the kitchen table, the poor bowl of cereal, and everyone else is there, my sister, my stepfather, my mom. And my mom starts laughing at me because I was a clown. Well, what do you think you're doing? I'm, I'm having breakfast. Well, what are you doing? And they, Come on, Sally, your head. What's up with their head? I don't know. Well, can you lift it upright, please? I can't, no. And so I started eating my cereal. My mom just kept pressing. Well, Chris, hold up your head. What's, what's going on? What's wrong here? I don't know, Mom. Maybe I slept wrong. I don't know what it is. And later we learned that after a series of medical tests, two and a half months later, I was diagnosed with torsional dystonia. And the doctor said that 
it can get better, it can get worse. Well, it grew worse as you saw in the pictures. And from my eighth grade year to my senior year of high school, I didn't see a better day. And it felt robbed. And it went from being a popular kid at school for the right reasons to a popular kid at the school for the wrong reasons. And people started to stare at me, making fun of me. And it felt like garbage, like a piece of trash, and it felt worthless. I didn't know the meaning of this life. And it was hard for me. And still to this day, I struggle in being in public. It's hard to go through drive throughs Fast food, that's, the day fast food represents convenience, right? Well, if you're in Gilbert, Arizona in the middle of summer and you're hungry for something fast, I have to park my car and go into the restaurant to order my food because I've tried going through the drive through lane before. It's hilarious. It does not work. And I'll place my order. They don't understand me. It's hard. When I'm on the phone with somebody who's never heard my voice before, I always have to preface my conversation. Hello, I have a physical disability. Can you understand me? Because if I don't do that, they think I'm just a break phone caller and they'll hang up. It's hard. But God is good. And as I read the spirit called by the infinite at the pool of Bethesda, I could hear God whisper to me, Chris, do you want to get well? Duh. Of course I do. Help me out here, Lord. I'm sitting in a wheelchair. I don't think it's fair, and I don't think you even love me, to be honest with you. Because why would a God of love choose to do this to somebody? It's cruel. It's punishment. My wheelchair feels like a prison. And I hated who I was. I hated looking at myself in the mirror. I hated Chris Simning. I struggled a lot. And then the church stepped up. And when I can see Jesus through action, the people at my church should be Jesus by not saying a word. Being at Fairfield, we had a senior trip on Lake Shasta, not too far from there. And we did houseboats. I'm in a wheelchair that year. I don't want to go sitting on a houseboat and watching all my friends jet ski, water ski, sea do, and I can't do any of that but just clap and cheer them on. That's no fun. But I went. I was taking medication at the time, and one of the side effects of the medication was severe diarrhea. And whenever it happened, I was humiliated. I didn't want to go on that trip and have that issue creep up. I was going to stay home. But my youth pastor, Rich, encouraged me, you got to go. Come on, go with us. We'll take care of everything. 
At that point, I needed people to dress me every day, bathe me every day, put me in the bed, give me a better bed. We'll take care of it. Come. I didn't want to go. So I went. And it's 3 a.m. in the morning. One morning, I'm sleeping in, in the kitchen area of, of the houseboat. We're anchored on a cove in Lake Shasta in the middle of the lake somewhere. And, and in the middle of the night, I've had, I have an accident. Diarrhea goes everywhere, all over my sleeping bag. And I'm humiliated. And my friend Jimmy Limnios is the only one in earshot of me because everybody else is sleeping up on the roof outside because the weather is nice. It's May. Jimmy! No response. He's sleeping away. Jimmy! Still no answer. Eventually, Jimmy stirs in the sleeping bag. He hears my cries. Chris, are you okay? Chris, what's going on? Uh, I'm not, Jimmy. I just had an accident, and it's all over. And I just want to go home. And I'm bawling my head off. And I'm bawling so intensely that my body is shaking. And Rich goes... Uh, Jimmy gets up and he goes to the front of the houseboat where my youth pastor Ritz is asleep. And he wakes him up. And he tells Ritz what's happening. And Ritz said, I'll take care of this. Jimmy, you go back to bed. And Jimmy was a senior like I was. He was my same age, my peer. And Jimmy told Ritz these words. Are you kidding me? My brother in there is suffering. And you're telling me to go back to bed when he's hurting? I can't do that to a friend. I'm going to help you. Wait a minute, Jimmy, my youth pastor says. You're going to puke your guts out. This is gross. This isn't a game, Jimmy. I don't care. He needs me. Okay? Go at your own risk. Here we go. They will in my wheelchair. They unzip my sleeping bag. And the moment they unzip it, the stitch just involves the whole room and now it's sticky and humid. Jimmy gets his hands inside, scoops me up out of the sleeping bag, and the moment he does that, he has contact with diarrhea, and now it's all over his arms. He puts me in the wheelchair, they wheel me to this little dinky bathroom on a houseboat, and they set my brakes, and my wheelchair can't fit through the door, so they have to drag me to the shower stall. I'm filthy. It's all over me. And Jimmy steps into the shower stall with me, not Ritz, my youth pastor. You think a youth pastor, that would be what he would do? No, it's Jimmy. Steps into the shower with me, turns it on, and begins to wash me. 
and clean out the filth of my body. And after the shower, we get back in the wheelchair, they push me, and I don't know where a magical new sleeping bag appeared, but there was one on my bed. I don't know what happened to the soil, but it was out of there. They put me back in bed that night, and before they turned off the light, they said, thank you for letting us help you. It was an honor and a privilege. And I'm old. And this is why I cried. That was the first time I saw Jesus in years. And it was because of the result of somebody stepping up in my church to help me. We need people. The church is just the building. The people that make up the church are the people within the building. Jesus cleans up our filth, our mess, our stench, and he uses our struggles for his glory if we let him. My stepdad's a cyclist. And one day in Fairfield, he went off for a ride. And the car sideswiped him, and he tumbled and flipped and got into an accident, and his back was, was messed up for several months. And he kept left me. He was one of my primary caretakers, he and my mom. And so actually, I'm here this weekend with friends who have known me since I was 13. They grew up with me. I grew up with them in Fairfield. And Wayne, one of them, Wayne Riley, stepped up because my dad couldn't lift me up anymore for a couple months because of his bruised back. And every day, Wayne would come over to my house early in the morning, and I would probably fuss because I didn't want to get out of bed. I wanted to sleep more. He would get me up, get me dressed, shower me, dress me, and get me ready to wait for the bus and take me out to the community college. And he did that for months. Thank you, Wayne. He showed me Jesus. I don't know where you're at this morning. The struggle that you walked in that door with. But I feel it. I've lived it. I don't know your circumstance specifically. But all of us want hope, like that man at the pool of Bethesda. But often, we look at the wrong places. That man was looking at the water, thinking that water would heal him. But Jesus wants us to look at him. I love when Jesus says his miracles at the Gospels because no miracle is the same. They're specific to the individual. And that's the beauty of how he worked in our lives. Jesus is specific to us. 
And he wants to use us and make us whole. Why? So that we in turn can get back to the people in the church and rise up and show people the glory of Jesus in our midst. But the question is, do you want to get well? What's that bath that you're lying on this morning? What's that bad in your life that maybe because you're hanging on to it too much, it's starting to paralyze you and it's starting to cripple you and it's starting to make you bitter and maybe you've given up and I get it. I completely get it. 100% I get it. Maybe Jesus is approaching you this morning and you just have to lean in and hear his whisper. Hey, do you want to get well? Then get up off your mat and start walking. I'm not asking you to sprint. I'm just asking you to move forth one step at a time. Jesus is about a process. And knowing him in his abundant life, the way that he gives us life abundantly, it's a process through our eternal lives with Jesus as we walk this earth of how he sanctifies us. And maybe this morning, it starts another step for you. But that mat is a barricade. It's making you stuck. And Jesus is asking you to get up off whatever that matters in your life and just start moving. He's not going to take away your pain, perhaps. He's not going to take away your brokenness because he wants you to take your battle with you. Not for it to remind you or to imprison you, but to make you whole. I'm old. I never thought I would ever get out of a wheelchair. I never thought I would be a speaker. And God used women to help me walk again. God used me to tell my life story here and there throughout some occasions to really develop a passion to be a speaker. You know what I tell people everywhere I go? I'm healed. Yeah, I, that's the response in silence. I'm healed. And then I get a little response from somebody. Healed? You're not healed? Look at you. You know what I tell them? You're not healed either. Look at you. <laughs> you may see my disability. I can't see yours. But you're all disabled in some way because you all have that mat and it's paralyzing you and it's crippling you. And you don't think God is powerful enough to prove that mat. And he is. Do you want to get well? It's the message of today. And you're sitting there thinking, duh. 
You get up off your mat and start walking and trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing. I like me. I think I'm a hoot. <laughs> I like being unique. I like being stared at sometimes. I like playing with people. It's hilarious. If you're a good-looking woman and you want to help me, I'll, I'll go, oh, yeah, sure, help me. I can do it, but hey, if you're good, sure. Hey, I'm not stupid, right? I play my card well. Life can be filled with joy, people. I'm not here this morning to point the finger at you or to judge you. I'm here this morning to hopefully resurrect something in your life that's dead. Did we sing it this morning? Give me Jesus. In the morning, give me Jesus. And that's what he wants to do for all of us this morning. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for these people in this church. And Lord, for brokenness, I don't understand it, but Lord, you do. For our bats, they're big, they're barricades, and we sit on them, and we lie on them, and we feel like our lives are immovable because of our suffering, because of our circumstance, but it's not. And I pray that as we leave today, this building, we would drive away from this parking lot seeing you just a little bit differently today than when we came in. God, give us Jesus. Lord, help us to take our mats and walk with them. Help us to find a way to use them for your glory. And help us to discover a way that where we can find joy in the midst of our pain. Help us to claim our baggage. Help us to put whatever in that baggage, those contents, back to their proper places as we focus our lives on you. In your name I pray. Amen.